Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalist and duet for our beautiful worship today. Turn your Bible to the Matthean Gospel, the 13th chapter. If you know Matthew's Gospel, this is parables about the kingdom of God. Parables about the kingdom of God are found in Matthew 13. Matthew's Gospel is outlined by five great discourses of our Lord, and amongst those discourses is Matthew 13, parables about the kingdom of God. Richard Jordan had everything in life that he could ever want. He had several cars. He had a new house that he had purchased to please his new fiance. Everything was going well for Richard Jordan. Then all of a sudden, with the new house, the new fiance, the cars, without warning, he didn't see it coming. His fiance said, farewell, so long, see you later, I'm out of here. Well, what did Richard Jordan do when the love of his life walked out, when he had made everything just so for her? Well, to console his soul, he sold everything. To console his soul, he sold everything. I mean everything. He sold his cars. He didn't have a need for two cars anymore. He was in the process of selling his house. In fact, it took months to divest himself of all the things that he owned, but he sold all of his possessions. He sold absolutely everything. And what did he do with all the money? Well, he went out and purchased a Lamborghini Gallardo. A Lamborghini Gallardo traded it all in, house, cars, clothes, possessions, everything to buy one very, very expensive sports car, a Lamborghini. And he just started driving. Didn't have anywhere to go, didn't have a fiance anymore, quit his job, sold everything. Sounds nice, doesn't it? He just started driving. And his Italian sports car, $180,000 then, today's dollars would be about, I priced them yesterday, $204,000. He just started driving. Didn't have anywhere to go. He just went. And he drove for 100,000 miles. He went back and forth across America numerous, multiple times, didn't have anywhere to go. He just started driving. He went from place to place, hotel to motel, motel to hotel, made some new friends along his journey of freedom, made some new enemies along his journey of freedom. Yeah, the Lamborghini will go from zero to 60 in four seconds. That's fast, isn't it? Four seconds, a top speed of 195 miles per hour, and he hit that speed on occasion on his 100,000-mile trip. During Jordan's journey, he amassed 
53 speeding citations. 53 speeding citations. I don't know if he was trying to get one in every state or what, but 53 speeding citations. He ended up in handcuffs one time. In fact, they were going to tow his car away. They thought he was a drug runner in a car like that, going that fast, had an unregistered gun in the car. Well, they were they were ready to take him away. They realized they really couldn't get the car up without his help. It was so fancy, and they decided just to let him go. You want the end of the story, don't you? All that hard driving, over 100,000 miles, caused the timing chain to stretch, crunching the valves, and turning the car into modern art sculpture. It just sits there. And now he shows his friends the Lamborghini that he traveled all these miles in. They cost 180000 In fact, he's still making payments on the Lamborghini, but it will not run. It is what I would call a Lamborghini paperweight. If you have any papers, you can put them underneath Lamborghini. What would it be for you? What would cause you to sell everything that you have your cars, your house, your clothes, your everything. What is it for you that would cause you to sell everything that you own because it was a treasure so valuable that it was absolutely worth your everything? Well, look at, look at Matthew 13, 44. Jesus tells us two parables that are ironically much like Jordan's journey and his Lamborghini. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and from the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I guess all of us, as children at least, dream of finding a treasure, don't we? Maybe getting that metal detector, combing the beach or the countryside, and making a million with a little get-rich gadget. I was just a child on the Carolina coast. My uncle bought one of those metal detectors, and he showed me how to use it. And I bet, could I go down the beach by myself and, and use the metal detector? And I had my little sand bucket and my little shovel, and I was walking along, and it beeps, and it buzzes, and it beeps, and it buzzes. And all of a sudden, there it was, a great treasure. The noise that it was making, it had to be an awesome loot. And so I, I got down with my little shovel, and I dug, and I dug, and I dug, and I dug halfway to China. Dug and dug and dug. It was a bottle cap. A bottle cap. And so I, I went further knowing I'd have better luck next time. And it went crazy again. In fact, it went more crazy this time. The excitement was more than this little boy could take. I dug, I dug. My brother helped me. We knew we had found the big one now. It was a beer can. It was a beer can. My treasure turned out to be nothing but bottle caps and beer cans left on the beach by a litter bug. But we dreamed... We dreamed. Oh, treasure hunting promises to be so exciting. But be sure of your trove. 
before you spend all of your time and all of your money looking for something that's not all that it seems. But there is treasure to be found. Gene Horn in the book entitled, You Can Find a Fortune, A Finder's Guide to Some of the World's Missing Treasures writes, Gold and silver treasure is literally all around you. Buried pirate loot, lost mines, buried war loot, sunken ships. You may have to travel a few miles to your location, but with luck and the proper background research, the right equipment, you could become a treasure-hunting millionaire. That's what happens in Matthew 13, 44. He's plowing along. The sun is hot. He's just trying to get through the day to get his denarius and then depart. And all of a sudden, he strikes something. He thinks it's just another stone, but the sound was a little bit different, come to think of it. It had a, a hollow tune to it and then a rattle. And he reaches down to remove yet another stone, and it's the shards of a pot. And he begins to dig a little deeper, and the pot is full of gold. He looks around to the right, and he looks around to the left to see if anybody sees him at all. And when no one has seen him, he covers the loot up, makes it look like the horse has plowed across it, messes it all up. The beast of burden prints right through the place, and he goes and he sells his everything. He gets rid of everything because he needed every dime he could muster to have enough money to buy this field because he knew when he bought that field, he would own the treasure beneath that he plowed upon. The treasure that is worth our all. This sort of thing does happen, you know. On April the 3rd, 1942, children found in today's dollars $95,939. Youngsters in Florence, Alabama, uncovered a pot, just like this story, a pot filled with gold. Lynn Scanlon, a taxi driver and the father of two of the four children that found the loot, said there was probably gold hidden during Sherman's southern campaign during the Civil War, the plantation owners just hid the gold in the pot so the army wouldn't be able to confiscate it. And at the end of this story, there's a dispute between the representatives of the four children and the one who says he owns the land upon which the treasure was found. But not so in this parable. This Laborer had every legal right, was under no obligation to report his finding. You find treasure today, you've got to report it to Uncle Sam. It wasn't that way back then. You found treasure, it was yours. He was an obligation to not only tell Uncle Sam, he didn't have to tell the owner of the land. But rather, it was all his if no one saw him. And so he looks around to the left and the right, and he covers it up, and he sells all that he owns in order to be able to own the land, to buy the plot to get the gold. There were no banks in the first century. 
One had to hide one's gold in a pot in the ground. And even today, archaeologists still unearth such treasures left behind by the patriarch who didn't tell his descendants exactly, or perhaps he had forgotten where he had buried his family's gold. Now, interestingly enough, we have two parables, but there's a distinct difference between these two parables. In this first parable, the laborer is not looking for treasure, but he finds it. In the second parable, in a moment, the individual is looking for a jewel, and he finds it. Both about the kingdom of God, one not looking for treasure, the other is looking for treasure, but regardless of whether one was looking or not looking, they both find it. I want to ask you this morning, to what are you giving your all? What is the value of the thing that you're ultimately seeking to possess? Before you devote your entire life and all of your resources, you only got one life, you know. Before you give your all searching for this or that, you need to be absolutely sure that whatever you're seeking is worth all of your time and all of your energy and all of your effort. True treasures, what every one of our songs was about this morning, about the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come on earth even as it is in heaven. If I were to ask you this morning, could you summarize all of the preaching of Jesus? I know you could because we've said it many times. Jesus had one sermon. It took on different forms. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. With the birth of that Bethlehem baby, dependent upon his crucifixion and his glorious resurrection, and fully consummated upon his glorious return, but it did find its initiation, its beginnings there, and the arrival of the preaching of Jesus. And so, his one message to you this morning, just like his message was to his first century hearers, is this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. The only thing worth your all is the kingdom of God. Some of you here today didn't come looking for a treasure. Some of you watching by way of television, you were just flipping channels this morning and you, you paused for a moment. Now you're listening. You weren't looking for the treasure of the kingdom of God. You're like that laborer in the field. You're going your own way, minding your own business. Maybe you're here for a family member, and all of a sudden, with a proclamation of the word of God, you have struck the treasure that is worth your all. We don't always look for it when we find it. 
Sometimes we're like a woman at the well. All she wanted was water from the well. And in the search of water from the well, she came face to face with living water himself, the one who told me all things about myself. Maybe even this morning you're hostile to the gospel and hostile to the church like Paul was. On the road to Damascus, he had papers, letters from the high priest, and he's going to persecute, to arrest men and women who were followers of the way and bring them back to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, on his way, in his zeal for the kingdom of God, he sees a bright light at noonday. And he's told, stop persecuting me. I am the crucified and the resurrected Jesus. Sometimes we're not looking for a treasure when we strike a treasure, and so it was with the laborer in the field. I want you to notice, look at verse 44 again in the middle. From the joy over it. The kingdom's that way. It costs you your everything, your time, your resources, your talent, you're all to be devoted to his kingdom. But I want you to know that the laborer was not begrudging when he sold all that he had. He had so much joy having found the treasure that with excitement, an open heart, and an open hand, with joy, he gets rid of everything else without even looking back and rejoices over the treasure of the field. So it is with God's kingdom. The joy and the awe that it brings is worth your everything. We must give our everything for the kingdom, not just our pocket change. An old poem, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to really make any changes in my life. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want to buy $3 worth of God, please. How much of God... Do you want? Jim Dennison, friend of mine, has been here many times to preach with us. Tells a, of a summer mission trip he was on as a college student in East Malaysia. The church there met in a crude warehouse, and there was a young lady who had proclaimed the lordship of Jesus, and she was being baptized in their baptistry, which was a bathtub. And as she was being baptized, she came up with all the joy in her face. But Dennison noticed that to the side was an old piece of luggage. And he asked about that baggage over to the side. And a church member said, oh, oh, that. Her father told her this morning that if she were to be baptized as a Christian, she could never, ever come home again. And so she packed her bags. Her father told her this morning that if she were to be baptized a Christian, then she could never come into his household again. And so she packed her bags. 
the kingdom of God to that young lady, the joy in her face and the baptism, it was worth her everything. Her clothes, her possession, her family relationship, her friendships, everything in her life changed because she said yes to the lordship of Jesus. Have you ever noticed Christ never calls a part-time disciple? Not once. He never calls and says, would you follow me sometimes and other times go your own way? Journey down my path for a while and the weekends will be your own. You ever notice that he never calls any part-time disciples to the rich young ruler? He says, go and sell how much? All that you have. To every disciple, he says, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to take up your cross daily and follow me. Every occasion, drop the nets in the boat, James and John. Leave that with Father Zebedee and come and follow me. Well, look at verse 45 and 46. The first one was seeking treasure. The second one is not. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Now, the laborer wasn't looking, but the pearl trader was. This was a gentleman who was a dealer in the goods of kind. He knew a treasure when he saw it. This is no common shopkeeper. This is a dealer on a grand scale, perhaps who traveled the pearl fisheries of the Persian Gulf or India. He was always in search of that pearl that was greater than all the other pearls. He would buy in the east, transport to the west, and sell for great and vast sums. Pearls and antiquity... At the grand scale, were not unheard of. Pliny, the ancient historian, tells us that Cleopatra had two pearls in today's dollars, $4 million for two pearls that Cleopatra owned. Or we're told that Julius Caesar presented the mother of Brutus with a pearl valued at $350,000. It was this kind of pearl the merchant was looking for. I imagine the scene something like this. The pearl merchant contacts a sheik of the pearl trade. He comes into the tent, and once the sheik is absolutely sure about the dealer, he calls him back into a smaller tent, and there's guards in the room, and he takes a soft bag, and he begins to work out with his hands this enormous pearl, this pearl of great price, and the dealer tries not to swallow too loudly to show his dazzlement. He looks at it, and he knows there is no other pearl like this pearl. He'd been in the pearl business all of his life. He had seen pearls great before, but there had never been a pearl like this pearl. And so he tries to stay calm, and he asks the question, well, how much would it cost a man to purchase that pearl? 
Let's put it in modern terms. What would it take to purchase that pearl? The pearl, Sheik says without hesitation, it will cost you everything that you have. That's the price of my great pearl. What do you have? Well, what I have is, I, I don't have a pearl like that, obviously, but I have five fine pearls, nice pearls in their own right. That's what I have. I have five fine pearls, and I would like to trade my five fine pearls for your one great pearl. That's all. That's all. Will that work? If it's all that you have, that will work. That's what I have. Well, where are your five fine pearls, asked the sheik. Well, I've got to go to my car. Car, said the sheik. Now, now, wait a minute. You didn't say anything about owning a car. The pearl of great price will cost you your five fine pearls, but it will also cost you your car. Oh, oh. Well, he thinks about it for a while, after all, the guy did tell him it would cost him his all. And so he weighs the value, and the reality is the pearl of great price is still worth vastly more than his five fine pearls and his, his car put together. And so he says to the sheep, okay, okay, I get it. I see how it's going now. All right, I'll go to my car. I'll go get my five fine pearls, and I'll bring you back my car keys because my friends will be able to take me. Friends, said the sheik. Now, we were cutting the deal. You didn't say anything about having friends. I told you from the start, the pearl of great price will cost you your everything, so I will need your friendships as well. Ah, oh, that kind of changes things, doesn't it? He wants my five fine pearls, he wants the keys to my car, and he wants my friendships. Now, this guy had some really good friendships. I mean, he'd grown up with some of the lads that he, he was close friends with, and so he thought about it, but, you know, ah, to the friends, this is the pearl of great price. It is worth absolutely everything. So finally he says to the sheik, in exasperation, okay, okay, I get it. You can have my five fine pearls, you can have the keys to my car, and you can have all my friendships, but I don't even know how I'm going to get home now. Home, said the sheik. The guy wasn't a fast learner. Home, said the sheik. You didn't say anything about owning a home. If you want the pearl of great price, it will cost you your home as well. You understand the point of the parable. Following Christ, the arrival of the kingdom of God is no part-time endeavor. N.T. Wright, famed New Testament scholar, put it this way. The gospel of the kingdom isn't a pleasant religious idea that you might explore sometime when you have an hour or two to spare. It isn't like an attractive object to the museum that the next time you're in the district, you may go and glare at for an hour or two. 
The kingdom of God is not a religious idea for you to read a book about when you have time. It's not like a museum object to admire the next time you get around to it. No, the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a treasure in a field that when you find it, you will sell everything that you have to own it. It's like the pearl of great price that once you have put your eyes on the pearl, nothing else matters, and you will give your all. You will pack your bags and set them against the wall because the kingdom of God is worth your all. Maybe you're here today, and with hearing this proclamation about the kingdom, you have struck the pot. You have found the pearl. And maybe your time has come, and today is your day of divine appointment to say, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. You know, life comes down to three things, doesn't it? And they're intertwined together. They're really one thing together. Have you put God number one in your life? Have you made your relationship with God the kingdom, the pearl of great price? Have you gathered with his people to worship? You cannot call God Father without calling me brother. That's that's Scripture. They're no long ranger Christians. You, you have to be active. with. If you're God's child, you will be active with God's people, serving and working for the kingdom. You want the bridegroom, you have to be part of the bride, the church. And thirdly, with kingdom priorities, laboring in his church and worshiping with his people, are you taking care of your family? That's what life comes down to. Maybe today you strike the pearl worth your all. Let's pray. God, there's some watching by way of television or some here in this sanctuary who need to make that commitment. They've come close before and they've thought about it, but their priorities have never been the pearl first. And today is her day. Today is his day to say yes to the kingdom of God. Just like me, they're a sinner needing a Savior and Today is that day. Maybe there are others who need to come and labor with this people of God that has kingdom values, kingdom priorities, that today is your call on their life to be part of this people called First Baptist Church. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.